I'm going to briefly share from uh, God's Word. It's been a busy service. We normally uh, pay uh, high regard to the Bible. In fact, we do this morning, but it will be a bit shorter, so... uh, uh, because time is getting on. I'm going to be reading from uh, Nehemiah uh, chapter 4. Uh, on your notice sheets it says verse 7 to 23. In fact, I'll be reading uh, from verse 1, but I will be concentrating those um, those verses. If you're using a church Bible, it's on page 488. If you want a Bible, put your hand up and one will appear. Um, but uh, we'll just share a few thoughts about what God might be saying to us uh, today. And the, and the sermon title is um, Effective in Facing Adversity with Faith. We're going through this series in the church about being effective in everything we do. We can believe a lot of stuff, but if we're not effective, then, then you know, we need to make sure uh, that we're changing and becoming more effective in the work that we do for God. So, Nehemiah 4, um, and uh, the sermon title is Effective in Facing Adversity with Faith. And by way of um, introduction, um, I don't know if the first slide coming up, Martin. It may do in a minute. We believe in miracles. It may well come up. There it is. Look at that. Okay, I'm going to do the rest. But uh, by of uh, introduction uh, to this passage, which I'll be about to read, in 586 BC, Jerusalem finally fell to the Babylonians, and the majority of the population of the kingdom of Judah was taken into exile, which had been prophesied. This wasn't a surprise. Isaiah prophesied it. Jeremiah prophesied it. Ezekiel prophesied it. And it was regarded by them as the judgment of God uh, upon a people who have been consistently shown themselves to be unfaithful and disobedient. And of course, all of us can relate to that sometimes. We see our world, turns it back on God, and, and then we wonder why God's blessing uh, has gone. Persians, in the 39 BC, the empire's taken over. Uh, this is just setting the stall out uh, by the Persians. And the Persian emperor, a man called Cyrus, uh, allowed many of that exiled people to come back, to return to their homeland. And this included a group of Jews who returned to Jerusalem um, under a guy called Shezbazar. And the start was made to rebuild the temple. The Jewish people wanted to rebuild their temple. But due to some opposition, local opposition, the work ground to a halt. And then fresh uh, energy was given to the task by the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, resulting in the completion and dedication of the temple in 520 BC. So it's a little history lesson. Then we have about 70 years of silence, which almost nothing is known of the conditions in Jerusalem. There might have been, at this point, an attempt to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, but if there was, it has obviously come to nothing. And enter our main man, Nehemiah, who's presented in the Bible, and along with Ezra, as working under direct orders of the Persian um, administration. Now, the story really begins in chapters 1 and 2, which we're not going to read, but we hear how Nehemiah learns that the walls of Jerusalem have not been rebuilt, and his distress is so obvious, and he's got this really important job. He's the cupbearer to the king. But his distress is so obvious that the king says, what's wrong? Cupbearer means he tries all his food and drink before the king eats it. So if it's been tainted, he gets ill or dies, and not the king. It's quite a nice job to have, I suppose. Um, but it's very important. And to say you don't want to do that anymore could have been punishable by death because you're effectively saying, I don't want to work for the king anymore. Um, but anyway, the king sees his face and he's upset and he says, what's wrong? And he actually gives him permission. So we see God's guidance and providence in that to go and rebuild the wall. And that's what he does. And he gets mocking and ridicule straight away. And most of chapter 3 concerns itself with who is doing what in regards to the rebuilding. Then we come to our chapter, chapter 4, the actual rebuilding, where now they face even more ridicule, but nevertheless, the wall, uh, they continue and the wall is now at half its height, still not finished. So this is where we're going to read from. So chapter 4, uh, just uh, from uh, 1 to 27. When Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry, said, greatly incensed. 
He ridiculed the Jews in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria. He said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their war? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what are they building? If even a fox climbed up on it, he would break down their wall of stones. They're getting ridiculed. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So they cry out to God. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it, till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites and the men of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. So now they've carried on with the work and the people that ridiculed them were just getting annoyed with them. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the labourers is given out. There is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. Everyone's against him. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack, even his own people are against him. Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall, at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the war, each to his own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows and armour. The officers posted themselves behind all the people in the other who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the men, sorry, but the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there, our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve as our guards by night and workmen by day. Neither I nor my brothers, nor my men, nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. So, effective in facing adversity with faith. Just a few thoughts. So I suppose when you're a kid, uh, we all know this, we've all been children, um, and uh, you say, you know, your mum asks you to do the washing up, I can't do it. Or, come on, you can ride the bike without the stabilisers, I can't do it. Uh, tidy your room, I can't do it. Um, abseiling, when I, went, when I got older they said you can do this 100 foot abseil, I can't do it um, camping, I can't do it oh, I've got a new job, I can't do it uh, even sometimes in church we can't do it well God is a God who says yes you can do it he's a positive God and if you look at our lives and how far we've come he's a God that says well you can do it and when Nehemiah first heard about the problem the situation probably would have seemed impossible he was this cupbearer, he's trusted he wouldn't be allowed to go but faith and passion for his God and, and the temple walls uh, move him for a life changing role and he, he negotiates the fact that he can go and help 
He motivates the people to rebuild. And we know uh, elsewhere that he immediately faces opposition from Sanballat, Tobiah and Geshem. Why the opposition? Sanballat was the governor of Samaria. Relations had been poor uh, because there had been a refusal to accept help from the Samaritans when the exiles had first returned. They kept themselves to themselves, basically. Once it was built, this wall, it would effectively have removed Jerusalem and the surrounding area from the jurisdiction of Samaria. So there was, there was greatly to gain. And then at the beginning of chapter 4, they're again angry and we're told in verse 1, they're greatly incensed, they're really annoyed at people doing God's work. And now in our passage with half the wall, with the wall at half its height, sorry, they're again angry and trying to stir up trouble. So you can see how Nehemiah has this real adversity against him, but he's going to face it with faith. He's not going to cower and say like the little child, well I can't do it, he's facing it with faith. So where's the opposition in the passage that we're looking at? It's vested interests, or, or people who disagree with the way that he feels, or they just don't like him. First of all, we know from verse 1 to 9, Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the men of Ashdod. We've already heard why. And the fact is that whenever we're taking ground as Christians, whenever we're doing things like today, there is one who comes against us. There's people who don't like us. Uh, whenever uh, we're planting a church, or doing a talk in a school, or maybe uh, an alpha course, or whatever, sometimes it's just doing good. You can face opposition. Um, but we can fight forward. We say, well, I can still do it. Um, of course I'm going to get opposed. We're in a war. And I'm a Christian. I'm battling for God. Sometimes it's our own confidence. Verse 10. Lack of confidence from his own people he had. Sometimes our problems seem insurmountable. And we can lose confidence in our abilities. Here, Nehemiah is facing it from his own people. Notice the word, cannot. We cannot do this. This was his own people. He's got it from outside. Now he's got it from inside as well. God says you can. You can build. He gets it from his enemies in verse 11. And we know that. We have an enemy. We're told that we have the devil that prowls around like a roaring lion seeking those to devour. He tries to attack us in many ways. He doesn't want many of you to join him in heaven. And many of you will let him get his own way. But we carry on fighting. We carry on telling you what we do, why we do what we do because we know God wants you in his kingdom. Nehemiah's getting it from all sides. What does he do? What would I do? I'd probably panic, be discouraged, quit, run. But he doesn't. His response is he faces all of it with faith. All of it with faith. These things that life throws at us, we can cower and hide or we can move forward with confidence in God in faith. Uh, verse 8 Uh, and nine, you see it there. Uh, They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. So he didn't didn't say, oh come, let's go and hide. Uh, The task is too hard. He says, but we prayed to our God. He answered in prayer. And in our busy culture, time is precious, but we cannot neglect our prayer life. Nehemiah was a man of prayer. Notice the effect. He was calm when everything around him and everybody around him were, uh, could be said to be falling to pieces. But in verse 14, quite apparent, he said, after I looked things over, so he's got all these people against him, his enemies, Sambalat, Tobiah, the Ammonites, and there his own people saying, you're not going to be able to do this. He says, well, after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, of the rest, and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. They can't stand up against God. They don't have to cower in a corner and say, well, I can't do it. They can move forward with faith. They can meet adversity with faith. And two more things there in that verse in 14. First of all, Nehemiah stood up. He stood up 
and he was a man of God. And sometimes Christians, uh, sorry, Christian, being a Christian is not always easy. And these people who have been baptised will know that. Sometimes it's hard to stand up for your faith, but we're called to do it. We stand because we're men and women of God. We're not called to be lukewarm. Uh, we're called to be passionate about our faith and stand for what we believe in. And then he says he remembers the God he served who is great and awesome. So don't ever think the problem is too big or maybe life is too tough and you just want to give in. Remember the God we serve. Remember what he's done for you in the past. Remember what he's achieved for you on the cross with his son. There's many times in my life, in ministry and just normal life, where I feel I can't get through this. Uh, How's this going to work? And yet I can look back and God has done it every single time, both in ministry, uh, if you feel inadequate, or if you feel you can you cope, turmoil. Um, God gets us through it every single time. So when you look at the world around us, the turmoil, the wars, the murder, the yob culture, the attack on the Bible, the church sometimes in its own conflict, maybe even your families, there's one word, and that is to stand firm for your faith. Nehemiah stood, and he stood for what he believed in. Don't be afraid. Verse 20, whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. And sometimes we have to say that to ourselves. Our God will fight for us. Our God will win people over to himself. He will reach out. He'll use you, but he will reach out and he will draw people to him. Remember the God we serve. He is faithful. Know the enemy's ploys. Verse 15, in this passage, he knew. He knew what they were planning. The enemy always goes for your weak points. Know it. Don't be led into temptation. It's hard, but as you read on through Nehemiah, you realise that Sambalat and his crew don't give up either. They continue to fight back. But we fight with swords, in a sense, the word of God and prayer. And you're not on your own. In that passage, he gathered all the people. And that's as a church, we work together for God's great mission. Look at verse 21. Usually work would stop at sunset, but they worked until the stars came out. They were determined and earnest in what they were doing. They were on God's mission for that time. So we need to stand. And we stand, and these four did today, but as Christians, all of us, for Christ. And we stand even when sometimes life throws its struggle and we stand with faith and passion. If we're compromised at work, we stand for the truth. If we've got a weak faith, we choose to stand. And as a church, we stand together with faith and passion. We stand for who we are and what we believe in. And what we're looking for, and we're going to sing this in a second to close, we're looking for God's rule and reign in his world now. He will come again, and he will rule. He came as the Lamb of God, he'll come back as the Lion of Judah, and he'll gather up all those that were his to reign with him. But in the meantime, we're called to be salt and light in the earth, to make a difference in the world. Our hearts on fire for God, full of the Holy Spirit, seeking God first, making a profound way difference in our communities and, and other people's lives, laying down our lives. You know, when they went under the water, the old has gone, the new has come, they're laying down their lives and now they're going to serve God. And that way then, if we do that, we'll build his kingdom. We'll build his kingdom among us and we can use the power of God that's within us. And the fact is, you're the church. The people of God are the church. Please don't say, I can't. God is a God who says, yes, you can. He's a positive God and he fills you with your spirit and sends you out. So Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So now go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And when you go out these doors, surely I am with you to the very end of this age. What a great promise. So Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the person of Nehemiah. We've only briefly looked at him. But a man of passion, 
a man of conviction, so much we can learn from him about ideals in leadership. And I pray now, Lord, as we begin to close our service, we give you all the thanks, all the honour and glory for everything that's gone on. And we pray, Lord, that our worship has been pleasing to you. And I pray, Lord, we'd feel your spirit as we're sent out into the world. In Jesus' name, amen.